0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Five for Breakfast. We're now in our 31st episode of 2022. Before I kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Five for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, Graybar and Vetro. You know, earlier this week, RUS announced its fourth round of ReConnect funding. This is the second round of ReConnect funding in this fiscal year. RUS received additional funding Uh, for the broadband um, from IDJA, and the third round of funding actually saw 305 applicants um, requesting a total of $4.8 billion. So the interest in ReConnect funding is outpacing the $1.15 billion that was allocated in that round. You know, today I'm in uh, Denver to meet with NTIA and the state broadband directors representing 56 states and territories. You know, they all have a huge job in front of them. And we want to provide as much support as possible, as it is imperative that the BE program is successful in getting critical broadband infrastructure deployed to all Americans. Speaking of Colorado, we're going to be back here in a few weeks for our regional Fiber Connect event at Copper Mountain on August 23rd. Registrations for Copper Mountain are way ahead of our past events, so please register today as you won't want to miss it. Our last regional event workshop for 2020, uh, excuse me, 2022 will be in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. Again, these regional events continue to gain tremendous momentum. So please don't wait to register as they will be sold out. Speaking of standing room only, today's Fire for Breakfast session has drawn a near record crowd to discuss the limits of fixed wireless technology for rural communities with Dr. Andrew Affelbach the CEO, CTO of CTC. Last week at Fire for Breakfast we discussed revitalizing Appalachian communities through broadband with Curtis Hansen from the Appalachian Regional Commission. You know I love the work that Curtis and ARC are doing to improve the quality of life in the Appalachia. To me this is what broadband is all about. Today we're going to shift gears a bit and focus on technology in an effort to ensure our unserved and underserved communities don't get shortchanged. In today's Five for Breakfast, we will discuss the limits of fixed wireless technology for rural communities with Dr. Andrew Afflerbach, the CEO and CTO of CTC. Dr. Andrew Afflerbach is a licensed professional engineer and specializes in planning, designing, and implementing um, oversight of fiber and wireless broadband communication networks smart city strategies, and public safety networks. He is an experienced network planner who understands the business and final financial implications of various network designs, and has delivered strategic technical guidance on wired and wireless communications issues to cities, states, and national governments. As CTC's chief technical officer, Andrew oversees all technical analysis and engineering performed by the firm. With over 25 years of broadband experience, Andrew testifies an expert witness on broadband communication issues and is frequently consulted on critical communications policy issues throughout technical analysis submitted to the FCC and policymakers. So welcome, Andrew. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd love to turn it over to Andrew. Thanks.
1: Uh, and I'd like to thank the FPA for uh, organizing this uh, uh, this talk and uh, there's a whole lot here uh, to to go into so if if your question doesn't get addressed here if there's a way you can can send that up in in writing i'd love to uh communicate back with 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 any of you because there's there's a lot to talk about and uh many many sides to the the picture here Uh, i do want to emphasize that this talk is primarily about rural broadband um delivery uh in detail uh, you can go to the Benton uh, Foundation website to get hold of the whole um, 150 page report and um, you can get into this at the level of detail that, that you're, you're interested in or that suits you. What I'd like to talk about today are uh, the wireless and, and uh, fiber technologies, how much bandwidth is actually needed because that's a question that I think policymakers uh, come up with uh, quite frequently. We know that certain technologies and certain setups can do certain things, but how much is is really uh, something that a household would really need uh, now and in the future. And then um, some cost models that, that we've gone into. Um, uh, prior to this work, um, a lot of the um, discussion on fixed wireless and fiber has been um, on uh, not not apples to apples comparisons, and frequently not in any sort of detailed uh, models that that take multiple facets into account, including the complexity of building both the technologies, the specifics of of certain rural environments, and so we've done very uh, specific uh, scenarios ranging from uh, a uh, um, small town to uh, very low density and and uh, come up with I think some quite some some interesting results that we're still beginning to unpack the details of. Um, the the short uh, 30 second summary is is essentially that uh, fiber as you're aware provides uh, many factors more capacity simply because of the the physics of the material and um, because of the ability to scale the bandwidth with simply uh, changing out the equipment at the ends has a very clear uh, path going forward um, for um, uh, as far as uh, capacity and capabilities. Um, In the long term uh, we find that the fiber and fixed wireless costs are, are comparable. Uh, this study focuses on the 30-year uh, total cost of, of operations, but we break out the the cap and opex costs. So you can kind of look at the the details of how of how those those work out. And um, although in in most cases you have a low capital cost for uh, fiber for fixed wireless installation, although not always. Uh, you do have frequent replacement of a larger part of the system, which makes the the difference. Um, And finally, um, just the complexity of serving uh, with the two different types of technologies, the complexity is on average lower with uh, a fiber technology um, uh, taking into account a lot of the facets that I'll go into in more detail. So um, here we have a a rural uh, fixed wireless scenario where you would have uh, the use of uh, of a tower, uh, perhaps a grain silo, uh, perhaps even uh, using one of the customer premises to to serve the the surrounding areas. And um, depending on the density of the area and and the the spectrum available in the specific layout, you can use a single site to serve um, up to hundreds of of users. And there are some very interesting and positive developments um, in, in wireless technologies. Uh, as many of you are aware, um, uh, spectrum is, is often a challenge. You have unlicensed spectrum, which has to be shared with whoever comes to the game. Um, many of the fixed wireless providers don't have access to license technology it kind of depends on the provider and, and on the area so you have to find ways to work around the limitations of spectrum and there's some very strong technical approaches including MIMO which uh, actually makes a friend of uh, reflections and multi-path uh, communications and can increase the performance and and reliability and capabilities of wireless communications um, Massive MIMO technologies are used by by many different uh, wireless providers now and are getting a whole lot more value out of uh, out of wireless communications. There's also uh, beamforming technologies, which allows you to take a certain uh, batch of spectrum that are available, and rather than just radiating it in all the directions at once, you can lock on to particular areas and actually reuse that that spectrum. It improves both the capacity and the quality of the of the signals. Um, Another important fact in in wireless communications is you have a uh, trade-off in Spectrum. Uh, the short story is essentially you get much higher capacity with higher frequency signals like like millimeter wave and this has to do with a number of factors including the width of the channels. The downside um, of those high frequency communications is you have a, a signal that's more like light, more like a, a laser beam and therefore what happens is, is that uh, rather than like a radio where you can communicate um you know w- with uh, a lack of line of sight uh, around hills and around trees as you get to the very high frequencies like millimeter wave you're much more dependent on uh, on strict line of sight so um, a wireless provider has to to basically uh, play a balancing game and, and and optimize for the spectrum in their particular situations. What this means is that in a rural setting you're it's very very challenging to use something like the very high frequency high speed communications and you're using more like the mid band and the low band communications which can work with a certain amount of challenge with line of sight and foliage. How much bandwidth do we actually need though? I mean, what to what how critical is it to have a the gig that we're all excited about? Well, today I think it's fair to say that nobody really uses a gig in their household, very few people at least. And so uh here we have a, a simulation of peak time for a household on the left hand side you have um during uh the daytime and the right hand side you have in the evening, where uh in theory at least people are more likely doing entertainment unless working and what you see here is um, uh, you're pushing the limits of what the FCC had said was acceptable broadband 25 by, by 3 and, and you especially see the challenge in the upstream direction that comes from distance learning, remote classroom, and a lot of the time when you're working with something like Teams or, or Zoom and things start to get fuzzy, it's really the upstream that's creating the problem. So a network developer looking forward should really be thinking about both of these. The other thing that we should all be thinking about is that when we're thinking about BEAD and IIJA, we're talking about infrastructure for 10 years, 20 years. And so what we're doing right now is really just about as relevant as what, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago when many of us were working with dial-up and some of us were doing quite fine with it. What we're seeing on the horizon is the development of technologies like um, Web 3.0, augmented virtual reality. which is going to become not just for for the gamers, but for people who are doing remote medicine, people who are doing training and, and other sorts of uh, education and, and, and so forth are, are going to be requiring a lot of um, upstream bandwidth as, as well as downstream. So if we're looking something like 10 years in the future, And if we're looking at a technology which is really just the middle of the road estimates that the the people the community are looking at we're looking at um, a household of four being well into uh, the 400 megabits per second range both upstream and downstream and then of course a very large family or, or small business environment we're pushing beyond a gig and the, the assumptions are detailed a little bit more in the report that, that we're, we're providing. But again, this is just a mild uh, amount of, of the interactive uh, type of, of communications, the Web 3.0. So you have to have a technology that's going to work with that. And uh, we have a breakdown here on the slide here uh, with uh, the range of, of not just the, you know, the cut sheet capability of communications, but in an actual operational environment, we're all aware that, the actual speed of communications you get depends on a lot of factors, including the loading of the network, or your line of sight, or um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of issues that are just like specific to the implementation. So we have a range here with fiber basically leading the pack up to 10 gigs with off-the-shelf equipment that, it, without too many assumptions about, uh, um, um, in any sorts of uh, special kits or, or, or preparation to get to particularly high speed. We have uh, cable uh, communications, uh, cable DOCSIS 3.1, which is the off-the-shelf available. This is all the downstream uh, speeds, of course, uh, with, with a gig or pushing uh, maybe up to two gigs and the capability with the next generation of pushing up to, to 10. If we look in the wireless realm, we see similar speeds with millimeter wave communications, but as mentioned before, a lot of challenge using that in a wireless because of its short range and it's very dependent on um, the types of uh, um, line of sight that you get. If we look at what's available in the rural realm, we have the 5G fixed wireless. I'm speaking more broadly there, that includes proprietary technologies like Tirana, which are um, have a lot of 5G capabilities, but they're not standard compliant 5G. And there you, you're also able, in many circumstances, to push up to hundreds of megabits per second in, in some uh, scenarios. Same thing with the 5G, but you're not able to push to the, to the multi gig, you're not able to push Uh, way beyond that with the current technologies we have. Again, limitations of spectrum and line of sight. The challenge is more acute in the upstream direction and there are many ways with wireless to try to improve your upstream performance including in the allocation of spectrum between uh, the up and down directions but uh, basically the gap widens in general uh, when we're looking at upstream which as mentioned is going to be increasingly important and is already very important for the interactive communication. So I think that an, an evaluator of um, of grant funding and policy has to, to really focus on this upstream piece as well as the, the downstream piece. So, um, you know, I, I, when we're approaching fixed wireless, we're approaching a technology where a lot has to go on to make it really work properly. And so what we're, we're going to be saying here is that if we're, if we're going to switch from what in the past had been the frequent uh, fixed wireless scenario to one that is more um, like what we were going to have with B, where you really have to blanket a service area with a set type of uh, service and you have to cover everybody, not just the people with good line of sight. Um, the the applicant for that grant or the, the provider that's looking to do this has to double down in terms of making sure that the line of sight is going to be um, available. Um, is has got to make sure that spectrum is available which again is something that you can't always predict if you're unlicensed or CBRS uh, has to take into account the, the complexities that you might have with with uh, weather and so forth and so um, what we're finding is, is that in order to really uh, make this work in the simulations that we've done it requires a lot of different antenna locations spread out and in a rural environment although in many cases you can save money with fixed wireless, you're also running into scenarios where you're gonna to have to put up an antenna where there are no antennas and where that antenna is only gonna serve a small number of users simply because there aren't that many out there. So um, also coverage versus capacity when you're doing a wireless model, uh, it's possible to get signal. In other words, to have a certain amount of bars on your phone but the SIP model has to also include your capacity. So here's an example of, um, in in our report, we look at Deming, New Mexico, we find that that's an example of a place where everybody can get signal if you put up one site, but to get the amount of capacity that's needed, we're looking at 10 separate sites on, on towers or buildings or whatever have you to make sure that you are delivering the required 100 megabit per second service. So uh, the report that we prepared is four different scenarios. Deming is the small town scenario. And then we have uh, gradations and density because everyone is involved with network design, whether it's in fiber and wireless, density is really the number one driver in costs. So we run all four scenarios. And the outcome that we find is uh, Um, I think some things that that many of us know, some things that are a little twist on on what we we know already. Uh, When we're looking at uh, fiber we have higher capital costs and most of the costs for fiber uh, relating to construction costs. Um, We find that the capital costs for fixed wireless are primarily the customer premises equipment costs. and in rural areas, uh, another large factor is going and having to add uh, either tower sites or antenna sites on silos and so forth, uh, that that in many cases serve relatively few uh, locations. In operational costs, we find that in the fixed wireless, around 40 to 80 uh, percent is is basically what you have to set aside for. Um, the uh, investment in, in going up to the next level technology. Again, if most of your cost is the CPEs, to take those CPEs to the next generation is, is a lot of, of ongoing dollars going in. So whoever is going to be picking fixed wireless as a solution for long-term broadband for 20, 30 years has to take into account that, that equipment replacement or upgrade, whereas in the fiber realm, you are replacing the end equipment, you're going from B pond to G pond to uh, so forth to so the higher higher technologies, but those, the, the electronics is only one to 10% of the capital costs. the fiber network so that's where it all changes. Uh, Next just to get towards the end of the presentation so um, again we have a range of of costs um, that that would be in place example in fiber you're going to have a range of construction costs depending on whether you're the incumbent phone company leveraging your your existing plant versus if you're building new and you're digging through a mountainside and so forth so we always have a range but we find if we're taking the 30-year view if we're including the total cost of operations, you can see this, this significant overlap here in the cost of, uh, of, of the um, FTTP scenario versus the fixed wireless scenario. So, to conclude, what we find is that um, essentially, if we have similar costs of, of total cost of operations, and if again what we're talking about is not just a, a broadband scenario for the next five or ten years for much longer. Uh, we think that fiber in most scenarios is 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 the way to to look at um, because what we have is a, is a technology that is uh, stronger in terms of being scalable and renewable. Uh, we have fiber which itself can support the wireless technologies uh, going forward and be this foundational technology and uh, the importance that if we are going in a hybrid approach or if we're going in a fixed wireless approach to make sure that the um, the approach that's taken has uh, an appropriate roadmap and has a budget set aside for whatever type of equipment replacements and upgrades that need to happen. So with that, I'll uh, take a breath and uh, and hopefully I'll take some some questions from the group and thank you all for spending the morning with me.
0: Andrew, thank you so much. Uh, really interesting. I thought it was a great report when I saw it come out with Benton. Um, the, you know, when we look at B program, you know, getting our critical infrastructure out, you know, there's not an OPEX component, right? It's, it's you know, the funding is for CapEx. So it would be, um, you know, we could end up with tumbleweeds networks, right? If, if um, these, you know, the state um, programs don't and take into consideration the ongoing OPEX. Is that the way you guys see it? I mean that
1: would be the concern, and there are a lot of ways to skin this cat. And people with uh, innovative business models, but uh, my encouragement to somebody who is either on the planning side or in the evaluation side is to make sure that somehow the big picture is taken taken into account, and that you don't have uh, your your constituents 10, 15 years down the road knocking on the door saying, "Hey, what you know? What happened to my broadband? I'm back back to where I was."
0: Absolutely. And and one of the things I thought you guys did a good job in your report is pulling out to for, you know, state broadband offices to look not only at um, the first cost, but over, you know, the cost, capital costs of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the OPEX cost 5, 10, 20, 15 years. But you also mentioned resiliency, which is part of the B consideration. And what what are your comments on um, fiber versus fixed wireless from a resiliency perspective?
1: Well, you know, again, that I, I would say the importance would be looking at the specific implementation of the model fiber. Um, you know, is, is 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 as we know, hard to kill. Um, there are a lot of scenarios where we've seen the the poles get knocked down, and the the fiber actually continues to to operate over that. And and then with fiber to the premises, if the uh, end customer has um, backup power at their location. Uh, they're able to keep operating when when the power goes out, which is uh, you know I think very a very strong uh, thing to say about that. With fixed wireless, um, I think one of the weaknesses is if you have a uh, what's called the um, like the point point to multipoint approach, where you're just getting signal from one location. That that location at the um, the base station point, if you will, is is a single point of failure for everything um, around it, and and so. Um, with fixed wireless that can be remedied with a mesh type approach and so there are technologies coming down the pike that uh, will will feed back multiple different directions Uh, and we're seeing more and more of that particularly in an urban and dense suburban type setting but in a rural area where it's really hard just to get one antenna to reach you i think that becomes very very hard uh, to to guarantee resilience because you are lucky just to have one the one line of sight working
0: we have a ton of questions here um so where do you see fixed wireless technology or how do you see it addressing line of sight barriers well i i think that
1: um again to address that the, the mimo technologies help um so as as the as the technologies continue to go into future generations i think that that's going to uh improve the capabilities and then you know over time uh, having a denser layout of of um, both the uh, base station antennas and the capability for um, the various uh, you know other customers to kind of relay among each other. One thing I would highly caution though is that there are some you know there's a range like in any kind of technology in the fixed wireless realm where there are providers who basically think nothing of I'm going to attach to a tree here. I'm going to attach to. Um, something that's just kind of sitting in the lawn here and whatever. And so if you are using relay points with uh, intermediate customers, it's really important that those intermediate customers are beholden to very long-term contracts that they have backup power at their locations and that the installation that they have there, even though it may be on them as a residence is, uh, it is basically a commercial grade installation that the, where they are.
0: Um, so we also, this is more of a comment, but as you know, thanks for pointing out the importance of upstream capacity for the future and uh, highlighting telehealth as a, a you know has a lot of potential in the rural setting, and that uh, upstream is critical for that. Do your cost models? Let me get my glasses on for this one. Do your cost models take uh, into account the fact that you are need want fiber between the antenna towers, or do the models assume wireless for the middle mile backhaul?
1: Um, there's a there's a flat dollar amount there for uh, for backhaul, and the assumption is it's going to be a hybrid that uh, usually wireless providers are going to to fiber where they can, and then do point to point communications for backhaul where where the fiber is not available, or to to do a resilience to maybe do maybe do both of them. But there's essentially an average dollar amount that assumes that the the backhaul is going to be uh, some of each.
0: We're gonna run out of time, so. What would you tell state broadband offices or who are con- considering fixed wireless technology over fiber at home as being more cost-effective in establishing their scoring metrics for grants? I think it'd be really important that, that they have to uh,
1: be assured very strongly, not just that there's coverage, in other words, signal at a location, but also that the solution is going to provide the capacity right now for um, you know the the bandwidth threshold that's needed um, assuming that the network is loaded and you have all these different individuals connected to the network and that there's a roadmap uh, going forward um, both for just replacement of the technology as, as the components get old and also to go to you know the next g or the next generation if you will of the of the technology but i'm finding that um, it, it's uh, I've not been reassured in many cases by proposals that I've seen for fixed wireless in rural areas where There's certain people that, you know, are just difficult to serve and they're left out because they're in a valley or because they're behind trees and so forth. And there has to be an assurance that that, that they're not just going to be glibly told, well, you should just chop down all your trees or, you know, you should just allow us to charge you for an $80 poll or something along those lines. Um, There has to be, um, you know, assurance that that this is a real approach that's not going to a hardship for the people who are receiving the service and that the quality is going to stay up over time it really is doable in a lot of cases but but i i would say that that broadband planner has to hold the bar up high both for the fiber and for the the fixed wireless applicants
0: yeah when you think about the bead it's different than the fCC programs you know hitting minimum speeds Fcc where there's money coming year after year and you can just keep subsidizing the same areas over and over, moving from one to ten one to 25.3 and so forth. B, this is it. This is one time, this is infrastructure. And so we can't look at just what it takes to hit the minimum speed. We really have to build it for the future. Um, I'm gonna sneak one more question in because I think it's interesting, but um, what impact does um, wireless last mile and wireless middle mile have on latency? Yeah, I, so the latency depends
1: on a lot of different uh, factors um in wireless. Um, uh, some of it has to do with the uh, the software and the um the the approach that's used to basically allow all the multiple upstream and downstream people to communicate at the same time. And so um there are some fixed wireless solutions where latency is pushed up to 40, 50 milliseconds and and um and that is longer than than the 10 milliseconds that that you can get. With fiber and usually about 20 that you get from from cable, so I, I would hope that as as time goes on that the the fixed wireless uh, technologies would you know tighten that up um, considerably because there are a lot of issues that can can happen if you have the longer uh, latency not not just the performance of the applications that where you don't want to have a delay but but also that you, you can start to build up problems with buffering and things that just lead to to very poor performance so it is a a place that is of concern to me right now in the fixed wireless area but i hope would uh, be improved over time
0: yeah i mean as we move into these gigabit networks latency is king that's going to be the long pole in the tent so we got to definitely keep a close eye on that andrew thank you so much really appreciate uh the amazing work that you and your team are doing with the states and with communities around the country um thanks for um, your work on this white paper and uh, really appreciate um, everything that you guys have done. Uh, I want to thank our audience for joining us today. And I look back, look forward to getting back together. Next Wednesday, we're going to be discussing an open access network in the Empire State with Mayor William um, Macy of the village of Sherborne in uh, Chenango County, New York. So you're not going to want to miss that. And then we have a ton of questions here. So Andrew, we'll get those to you. And hopefully, you can answer those by email. But thanks everyone for joining us today and we'll see you guys again next Wednesday.